Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Since we've no place All right, welcome to a Friday of Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Holiday lights, Brad, you could you could just chill right here, right? Holiday lights. Happy uh, Friday, Rick. Oh, right, yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're waiting for the guy who usually says that. Yeah, uh, rotary lights, downtown Lacrosse, Riverside Park, in full swing with it being 50 degrees out, I think. Is, uh, yeah. Oh, and and Trigoski is circling the block, so... <laughs> So that's what's going on. If you're uh, if you're if you're waiting for uh, him and I to to start up, I, I do. But there you, there's a steady stream of people coming down uh, coming down State Street. I've seen heading toward the Rotary Lights. So and because the weather is so nice tonight, yeah, I think it's going to be a big crowd. Uh, coming up on the show, some of the things we we really need to talk about. And Brad, maybe you have an opinion here too. Favorite holiday movie by state? Oh, I, I did you're something looking, on that a year or two you're, ago. You're probably looked. Did you see? I, I can. Oh, uh, well, what would you guess is the best holiday movie? Don't look. Well, best uh, probably a lot of people are voting Home Alone. Okay, well, I feel uh, like you looked. No, I I can't tell because I can't you tell what the symbols ago? are for me. Well, <laughs> they they do this maybe every year or two. Somebody does, but you you get It's a Wonderful Life. And some people like White Christmas with Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye, and uh, so this, the, the Grinch, which is the Grinch, isn't on this list. And I have a, a list of uh, favorite holiday movie by state. So um, yeah, the Grinch isn't on here actually, which yeah. I thought was weird. I'm, but I'm the, the the Jim Carrey version as opposed to the TV. Oh sure, the cartoon, animated. right? Yeah. Uh, but the 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 tr- there's travesty on this list. The the some of the. Some of the, a lot uh, of people, of course, will vote for Die Hard because it takes place. Well, in there's Christmas. worse movies than that even well, <laughs> on this, and you, and it's. I didn't holiday. say it was a bad movie. It's no, just it said a no, Christmas. No, well, so. holiday or Christmas movie, you want to call it, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, and then by state, of course, Brad Brad ruined it. He said uh, Home Alone was the number one um, in in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Anyway, there's also we also have the story about a woman who threw. A bowl of food at a Chipotle worker, uh, and then she was sentenced to work two months at a fast food job. I don't know if you see this video. She's ar- arguing with the cashier at the Chipotle in line there, and then eventually she just takes her, you know, probably burrito bowl or whatever, and chucks it at her. Just like, what are you doing, lady? Like, how mad do you have to be to uh, to throw to throw a bowl of food at a, a fast food worker. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. All Especially right. Especially if you put salsa on it or something, it's like, it's <laughs> oh, geez, I didn't, want, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> um, all right. Trigoski is going to be here. You to be a lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Trigoski is going to be here in a minute. We're going to take a break, Brad, get out of here. Cause you got to go to the news. Uh, and we'll be back in a minute. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, or welcome, Anthony Chagoski. I made it. Did you, you know, like if you're gonna go through the rotary lights, like do so after the show, like <laughs> instead of like Chagoski is taking his car, going through the rotary lights yeah, before the show. Silly me, not remembering a that it's rotary lights, and b that it is practically balmy out there by December standards in Wisconsin. So there are swarms of people heading to rotary lights. Adding up to the fact that it would be really difficult to find parking around here. 
Yeah, 608-785-7914 is the talking text line if anyone wants to get in here. UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Chergoski is hanging out this hour as he usually does on a Friday. Happy Friday, Rick. And Brad already did that for you, oh. by the way. And um, okay, so kind of you, I don't know. Have you dug down into the uh, you're going to get a pay raise story yet here? Yeah. Or, is this affect you or just Madison? It, it does, and that's why I'm a little hesitant to talk about. Okay, it. I just all right. We don't have to talk about it. It is on the Wisdom News website. And I'll I'll just say it's it's a it's it's weird. It's a little bit um, I don't know. There's like a little bit. Seems like a little bit of a cave um, from I don't know. It's 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 hard. Someday, Chagoski, when you can like uh, maybe when you uh, don't work at UW, you could you could tell me what's going on, or I can get someone else here to try to tell me what's going on. The idea that we. Um, we, we have to axe on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then like add some quote unquote conservative position uh, as if those are the same thing. Um, okay, so I, I did preview a little bit. Okay. Uh, if you look at the top of this, I, we, me and Brad talked about a little bit the, the, the best holiday movie by state across the country. This list is disturbing. <laughs> And we'll get into we can get into it. Is, is, is it not disturbing when you look at this list? A, it's a little bit not surprising. Wisconsin, Minnesota. Uh, some of the other states, but also like, what are what are we doing in California and Washington <laughs> right. or Oregon? I mean, right, right. I feel like Wisconsin. You... The results are not that surprising for the top five in Wisconsin. Yeah, and the top movie. Uh, I, I guess I didn't. I didn't grab the like all overall top holiday movie. But if you look at the picture, and I guess the East Coast is hard to do because the pictures get very small. Those states are very small. It's hard to kind of figure out where the the teeter totter leans, but I'm guessing like Home Alone, and if you if you just want to say the Home Alone, I won't say franchise because there are six Home Alone movies, but Home Alone one and two is is probably the consensus top holiday duo in across the country. Well, it's the top one in Minnesota, Home Alone, and then Home Alone two is the second ranking favorite holiday movie in Minnesota. I just I don't understand that. That's weird. I've uh, Home Home Alone two anyway. I just don't. I don't. So I don't the Home it. Alone franchise is dominant in Minnesota. <laughs> why is Why is Home Alone two a top holiday movie in a state yeah. over Home Alone? Yeah. Right? Why would you like Home Alone two more than Home Alone? <laughs> There's no reason. It does not make do any that. sense yeah. at all. Yeah. I mean, even more than the next ones, Die Hard, A Christmas Story, Christmas Vacation, It's a Wonderful Life. Minnesotans like Home Alone 2 better than all of those. The disturbing part of this move this list, and it's from hubscore.co, is that like the movie EXXmas is here. I don't I don't think I've ever seen this. I've never movie. even heard of and that. It is it is scattered throughout the country as the state's top holiday movie. Oregon. No, not Oregon. I now I gotta look at what the Xmas uh oh, Florida and Georgia. Um also, Tregoski, when I was doing this, I'd spent a lot of research looking at this list, and I had to look at this map of the United States, and I have come to the conclusion that I do not know my states anymore. <laughs> man, when's the last time you did that where you had to fill in the names of the states? Because I get on the East Coast, man, and I'm like, I looked at Nebraska. I was like, wait a minute, Nebraska's way over there? I knew what Nebraska what Nebraska looks like, and I could name it. But I was like, oh, it's way over there? I just I was thinking it was not over there, just like I hadn't thought about it ever, apparently, in my 45 years. But like, yeah, I was getting on. I was like, why is Rhode Island a state? <laughs> when I look at that map and I was trying to figure. Like since when was Rhode Island a state? Well, and I was trying to like, okay, I'm like, where is, oh, and I'm like, oh, that's because Rhode Island's favorite movie is Grumlin's. What? But, but then if you look at the picture, you know, there's Rhode Island. It's just a blop. Beep. It's just a dot. 
And I'm like, why is that a state? It doesn't even make any sense. So like uh, the geography, uh, maybe I need a geography re-lesson. And, uh, and then as a country, we need to con- con- come to a consensus on uh, what holiday movie, because Texas has got it right. Christmas Carol. Absolutely. That makes, that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, Ohio, a Christmas story. Yes. That, you know, a couple, of, I think Ohio is the only state that has a Christmas story. Three states have a Christmas Carol. Well, shout out to Iowa. Christmas Vacation is their top Christmas movie. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, so there are two different ways to look at a top Christmas movie. It's like a top Christmas movie in a, in a comedy way, Christmas story, Christmas Vacation. And then just like heartwarm Christmas stuff, right? Because then It's a Wonderful Life is Louisiana, New York, and Maryland, Christmas Carol, Texas, South Carolina, Delaware. And then Polar Express? I is can that see Christmas? that. I've never seen I Polar Express, I can see Express, that. Though. That's a nice movie. Okay, and that's Nebraska. And then, you know, Christmas Story is Ohio. And um, everyone else, I said on the, you know, my notes here, it should be ashamed of themselves. X-Mess, Home Alone 2, Bad Santa, how is that your top? As okay, a Bad Santa is a really funny movie, but as far as being a top Christmas movie, I don't know about that. Yeah, and holiday movie, right? Like holiday not, movie. And then Grumlin's Nightmare Before Christmas. I is that a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? <laughs> I, have I, no I don't know. It has that. Christmas. And then Home Alone. I, I I feel like you should be ashamed of yourself as a state. So of Home Alone so here is the blurb. Movie. Here's the blurb for Xmas on IMDb. Okay. Graham surprises his family at Christmas only to discover his ex-fiancee is already celebrating the holiday with his family when he arrives. So they don't, does the family not know they broke up? Maybe that's the plot twist here. Yeah, okay. But you can watch it for free on Free V. Well, and there's, there's commercials then. You I will have not, to sit with the commercials. I will not watch anything anymore with commercials. <laughs> I am done watching commercials for the rest of my entire like. Life, like, isn't it funny how DVR and streaming services have changed attitudes towards commercials? I get, I get pissed when if you watch Prime and they put a little Prime preview in front oh, of the yeah, show, and yeah. I'm like, I do not want to watch this right. Prime. I paid a hundred dollars for your membership. I do not want to watch your previews, even if it's like self promoting itself. So, um, all right, so that's that's the Christmas spiel. If you guys have an opinion on your top holiday movie. I would like to hear it. 608-785-7914. Shoot me a text. By the way, Rick, I will say Wisconsin's top five is a great top five. I completely agree with every movie on the top five. Home Alone, Die Hard, Christmas Vacation, A Christmas Story, and It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, I don't Die Hard is like, is Die Hard rewatchable? Once a year. Once a year. Yeah, once a year. I mean, I'll, I mean, that's kind of the premise of all these movies, right? Right. Like, right. Just the idea, though, of like sitting down as a family, gathering for the holidays, and putting on Die Hard is kind of funny, <laughs> it's right? Little, yeah. And just a lot of these movies, sitting down as a family, putting down Bad Santa. That's not <laughs> right. Like, right. what kind of demented family are you? Um, and and I did I did talk I just I did just real quick before you got in here. Mentioned that the woman who threw her burrito bowl at the Chipotle worker is sentenced to work in fast food for two months. I love this idea. We need to do this across the country. Do absolutely. We not? Like every, absolutely. Like every everything. Like airline workers getting harassed all the time. I don't know. I don't know if that's there's there's a world here where you're like, okay, well, I got to put up with this person now being an like a flight attendant or now being I have to train them to work in fast food. There's a world here where that that's just going to be annoying as well. So. There's got to be some extra compensation if I'm the fast food place or the food place that's putting up with the, the lady that was triggered enough to throw a burrito bowl at the cashier. 
I feel like people who have worked those service jobs have a particular perspective about these unruly customers, right? I feel like once you've worked a service job or a restaurant job or a retail job, you develop a certain perspective about the right and wrong ways for customers to behave at these establishments. Yeah, definitely. It's just, just and I love the premise. This is a Seinfeld episode uh, where where you're you know like the the alternative in the Seinfeld episode she would instead of the lady would like be uh, sentenced to work as this woman's maid or something like that that would be kind of more interesting but then you have this woman who threw a burrito bowl at your house and I don't know if I want that so um, but but yeah to make her go and work in the fast food industry for two months is two months long enough <laughs> if you threw like you're so triggered about your burrito bowl that you threw it at another person. Two months? I think minimum two months. Yeah, I was. I, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Two months. I feel like you're just getting a handle on on the job itself. Right. So, um, and then one survey from YouGov. I don't know. You like to throw YouGov. So this time I, love these I found a YouGov, yep. and maybe you can find a political one. While we're talking here, uh, how confident are you that you could safely land a passenger airplane? <laughs> it's just like it's just so stupid in an emergency situation, relying only on the assistance of air traffic control. So the movie Airplane, this is definitely that from the 70s, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but, the, but but now we, we have the survey, but I grabbed the gender, the male gender results, yeah. I guess. And um, if you want to just go like totally male gender is very confident that they could land the plane 20 percent, uh, somewhat confident. One quarter of men, over a quarter of men believe that they could land a passenger airplane. That seems well, crazy. Well, Rick, you put this together. Nearly half of men are at least somewhat confident that they could land a passenger airplane. Yeah, and then, well, is it nearly half? Not very. Oh, okay. 46% you're going... are somewhat or very confident. Oh, 46%. Yeah, okay. Compared to women. Yeah, we'll do the women here. Yeah. 20% of women are either somewhat confident or very confident. Now, again, let's compare. 46% of men are somewhat or very confident they could land a plane. 20% of women are somewhat <laughs> or very confident they could land a plane. Thank you, women. Um, and then the very confident category, 20% of men and 7% of women. Very confident that I could land 300 people are going to die if I don't land this plane. I got this. Count me, Rick, among the 28% of men who are not at all confident that they could accomplish <laughs> yes, this. Absolutely. I have approximately 0% confidence in my ability to do this. What about the people that put not sure? Because men and women are equal here. 10% of men and women are not sure that they could do it. Like really? That, right? Really? You're not sure? <laughs> right. Like, do you need to, what, do you need to do, to wa do a little walkthrough? <laughs> if you're not sure, you can't do it. <laughs> All right, we got to take a break. Well, no, we don't have to take a break. I was thinking this was the first segment. Hey, keep you we got a couple. We got a couple minutes. Yeah. Okay. So we didn't get the chance to preview some of the political stuff we could talk about in the yeah. next segment. Um, we had the 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 false elector story, right? Yep. We have some resolution there in Wisconsin. Among those, um, Bill Fian, the former La Crosse County Republican Party chair and current third congressional or U.S. House District chair. Um, so they settled that lawsuit. We could talk about that a little bit. Um, but leaving, but leaving unanswered, if Attorney General Josh Call is going to go after them, if there are any actions from the Wisconsin Department of Justice yeah, on the fake electors, yeah, issue. that's interesting because they settled a civil, a lawsuit. civil case, not a criminal case, a civil case, and and no money it appears. There is, is there no money? Because usually, that I heard a, of. usually a civil case is like you know, like dude did a thing to a woman, and you can't prove it in court, and then they settle. It's like a an athlete, right? And they settle. For two hundred million dollars or twenty million dollars or whatever, and you're like, oh, so he's guilty, but we can't prove it, 
and he but he wins the civil case. I think Donald Trump just did a civil thing, it's right? It's been why some of the legal actions surrounding Donald Trump have been hard to keep track of because some of the legal issues Donald Trump faces are civil, others are criminal. Right. And yeah. yet they're all kind of lumped together because there's so many and people are trying to keep track of them, but they're not all the same. I mean, they're different in terms of severity. They're different in terms of the potential repercussions and they're different in terms of civil versus criminal. It'd be kind of interesting if we never had a a settlement, you had to go to trial for everything. And then there was no civil case because the civil case is awesome. Always like, eh, you're guilty, but we can't prove it or we don't want to try to prove it. And therefore you'll just pay a bunch of money because we all know the thing that you did is the thing that you did, but yeah, I don't know, it's so I, weird. I just didn't hear anything about any monetary. Yeah, could that not thing? be just disclosed? Yeah, I, I just, it didn't come up in any of the news articles. It was really just about the fake electors acknowledging that Joe Biden right. won Wisconsin it's... fair and square, and then promising that they wouldn't try to serve as electors in the next election or in any election with Donald Trump. Yeah, if Donald Trump serves as a city council person, you can't be an elector if they do that. (laughs) But it it is kind of funny. The the people who filed that civil lawsuit, and it's it's a group, right? Like, I don't don't have it in front of Like the legitimate electors were the the ones who filed the suit. Yeah. What's funny, though, is like, hey, we don't want any – if there was no money exchange. It's not in the story. We don't know. But it is kind of funny. Hey, we don't want any money. We just want your, your, you guys to say that Joe Biden won the election because that's the biggest troll ever, right? Like you guys did all this to, 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 for Donald Trump and to, the fake that he won the election. And we've been talking about it for th- three years, going on four years. Yeah, all we need you to do is just say Joe Biden won. That's all we got. That seemed to be a big part of it. It seemed to be a big part the, of it. And the electors are like, no, we're not going to, we are not going to settle. We will not say, I don't know. Obviously that wasn't the case, but it is kind of funny that that was the the settlement. It was just say he won the election. And on the very same day that this civil settlement was announced in Wisconsin, the state of Nevada announced criminal proceedings against the fake electors in that state, making yeah. Nevada the third state in which criminal charges have been Out filed seven, against right? it. Yeah. So Georgia and uh, Michigan being the other two. Um, and, and we, you, you kind of alluded to it before we go to break here, but Josh call the democratic attorney general here in the state is, is what does he do? What, what is his thought process here? Do we know? Like, yeah, we have not been able to figure out where Josh call the attorney general is on this. Now we got our first hint. It is just that though, a hint today, this story from CNN saying that former Trump lawyer Kenneth Chesborough is cooperating with states, including Wisconsin, in their investigation into the fake electors. He's cooperating with the Department of Justice, which means cooperating with Attorney General Call. So it raises the possibility that Josh Call is looking into this. We just don't know a lot because Josh Call has been very tight-lipped about any criminal proceedings or any action that the Department of Justice here in Wisconsin might take against the phony electors. Okay, so before we go to break, I just like tell me if this is a good question to come back to after break. Josh Call, Attorney General is a political position, mm-hmm. so Josh Call is a Democrat. Obviously, these fake electors are, are Republicans in the state of Wisconsin. Is Josh Call playing politics here by withholding? Is this a good question that we could talk about? The, the idea of playing politics of waiting until we get closer to the election before we file this lawsuit, because then it'll just trigger voters 
Uh, he's is he on the ballot too? Is Josh Call? On Josh the Call was reelected in 2022. He was okay, first so elected in 2018. There are rumors and there's speculation that Josh Call would be interested in running for governor. The assumption being Tony Evers would decline to run for reelection in 2026, and then Josh Call would seem to make sense for Democrats as a potential nominee in that election. Okay, so. Good question. Yeah. We'll talk about it when I we come think, back. I Is it worth so. talking about? All right, we'll, we'll come back in a minute. Mr. Grinch. If someone could read lips, the show we do really off the air is like super interesting. Oh, we just did a great show during the commercial. It was, break. A, it was a great. Yeah. And if anyone, you know, we're on Facebook Live and <laughs> I'm trying to get this to go to YouTube Live too, right? Oh, nice. I have found, found that just like youtube a little bit better than facebook when it comes to videos i don't know if you i don't know your preference also i have like a youtube where no commercials we go back to that i don't sure. have to watch any of the commercials anymore you to be a lacrosse political science professor dr anthony Chagoski is sitting in here okay so freewheel in here without even vetting the text so politically speaking were the actions of these quote-unquote fake electors out of the ordinary or are or has this activity happened in the past did they did they act did they do anything that is not allowed under federal election laws? It's a good question. So they may have been – what you could note here is that what they did, first of all, was highly unusual, like highly, highly unusual. Secondly, it is, they may have been – you may say that they were impersonating the true electors – or they were signing official-looking documents. Yeah, they forged documents. Yeah, official-looking documents they, that, in fact, were not authentic. And they did it in the state capitol. Yep. So yep. they got into the state capitol doing a thing that is off the, you know, like, I don't know if that's, like, that big a deal, but okay. Uh, to, to your point, Rick, that you raised before the break about, you know, what Josh Call's play here might be as the attorney general. Well, now he has seen three states take legal action against the fake electors in those states, Nevada, Michigan, and Georgia. So now, if he were to take legal action, he would not be the first to do so. Right. That could be playing into his strategy. I was just thinking nefariously, though, as Josh called, he is not up for election in 2024. Yeah. So that is not a play. But is but he is a Democrat because we make these positions political. And therefore, would he file a lawsuit against the false electors heading into the 2024 election at a perfect time where voters would get triggered one way, you know, like for him and his, yeah, I'm going to file a lawsuit against these fake electors right now. And that'll get Democrats to go to, because you, you would may be like, Hey, we don't want these fake electors to do this again in 2024. We better get to the polls and vote, you know, like vote for Joe Biden. And we'll put these guys in jail. Cause we're going to criminally charge them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to read too much into what Josh call is doing because he has been so, so tight lipped about this. And, and right. the line from the, fake but you're the political scientist. You're supposed to go, okay. As a political <laughs> science genius, as you know, the politics of this, because he hasn't done anything yet. And, you know, like, would it be a good strategy if he did that right before the election? Because that would also trigger Republicans possibly to go to the polls. Hey, we got to protect the just idea. A, just as a general rule, attorneys general look in the mirror and see a governor. Senators look in the mirror and see a future president. Members of the House of Representatives look into the mirror and see a future senator. So these are very ambitious people. Yeah. And as a general rule, as a political scientist, I look at their actions through that lens. Okay. These are ambitious people who want to move up the ranks in politics. So Josh Call 
wouldn't do this thing because he wants to be governor? I don't know how you draw the correlation. I I think Josh Call is someone who is highly ambitious and would be interested in becoming governor one day, assuming that Evers does not run for re-election. And therefore he would or wouldn't do the Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So what is this? Is this a better question for your colleague? It might be. Is this a Tim Dale question? It might be a Tim Dale question. Where you could get into the mind of Josh Call or get into the mind of voters. And if Josh Call filed a lawsuit against the false electors for Trump, would would that be Harmful or better for Democrats? Now, you know? Josh Call's calculations here might be influenced by the line that is coming out of these fake electors. One of the most intriguing elements of this latest development, the civil settlement between the legitimate electors and the fake electors, one of the most intriguing aspects was the line that came out of Andrew Hitt, the former Wisconsin state Republican chair, who said that the Wisconsin electors were tricked and misled into participating in what became the alternative elector scheme, and they would have never taken any actions had we known that there were ulterior reasons beyond preserving an ongoing legal strategy. So Andrew Hitt was saying, look, we were tricked into acting as fake electors. We didn't understand the ramifications of what we were doing. We didn't understand, perhaps, that this was something that could be criminal in nature or that could open us to criminal yep. charges. So... Josh Call may be taking that into account when he is considering his next move here. Yeah, and I, I want to, you know, I want to just do the political thing, but he's also playing it safe, right? Like he a, is. A, he could just he could pass the buck because wouldn't um, who's the guy going after Trump in the federal Jack Smith? Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like he could just pass the buck to to like Jack Smith to look into this and go after. Um, false elector schemes in all the states, or he could just wait to see how Michigan and the two other states play out and go, oh, it played out that way. Okay, the, like maybe I'll, I'll go forward or I won't go forward. It seems to be his move, and the picture we're seeing emerge from these national-level investigations in the 2020 election is that the fake elector schemes in these states has been pretty central to the federal investigation. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a side story. Yeah. This is pretty core to the broader investigations into the aftermath of the 2020 election and the plot to, you know, try to overturn the election or invalidate the election or raise questions about the election, whatever word you want to use. The false elector schemes seem to be pretty core to this whole story. One time I was going to have Ron Johnson on the show and I was very excited. I hadn't had a senator, U.S. senator on, I don't think at that time yet. And he had, they had reached out, his handler, I like to call him their handler, had reached out, and Ron Johnson was going to come on the show. And then that morning, Ron Johnson was front and center in the false elector scheme where he was going to. So, and then, of course, Ron Johnson didn't come on the show. And what did I do? I had Mandela Barnes come on the show while he was coming. Well, he was, because uh, Mandela Barnes was like, I'll come on the show, of course, uh, as he's running against Ron Johnson for Senate. But what I don't see in any of this, as they saw, as they, settle a civil lawsuit into the false elector scheme, making those Wisconsin Republican false electors say Joe Biden won the election. Ron Johnson's not a part of that. And that was a very interesting, we don't have to get into that whole thing, but I would like, I'm curious to know if there's any ramifications from that whole situation where Ron Johnson was going to hand the false elector uh, ballots or whatever electoral ballots to the vice president, Mike Pence. You know, that was the scheme there. And one of Mike Pence's staff members said, do not give right. these to Vice President Pence. Don't you dare do that. Right. And I mean, Ron Johnson had, was ready to do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the Pence team certainly understood the ramifications of this. 
Um, all right, someone's waiting on the phone on the on hold. Caller, who's this? Yeah, it's Joe. Hey, Joe, um, go ahead. So you guys say fake electors? They came out and said that um, that they admitted that they lied about the um, about the criminality. Which I think what is with criminal is I don't think that anybody investigated voter fraud. So unless you're going to go into the machines and look at the source codes and actually check for the files that were created, if you saw any video, if you were open-minded and wanted to see what actually took place in the 2020 election, you would see that there was fraud that was taken um, advantage of. And um, I don't think it was ever investigated. Actually, it wasn't investigated. The judges that the people that came out with their... um, with their depositions and, and signed um, whatever uh, that they, um, I can't think of the name of, of what they signed. They signed documents to say that that cheating happened in different states, but nothing was ever investigated. Okay. Thanks, Joe. I don't know. You got a take there. <laughs> I, I, you know what? As Joe talks about that, be careful. I think if I feel like Fox News paid like almost a trillion dollars in a, in a lawsuit that said that they kept per- perpetuating the idea that the the election was rigged. Yeah, yeah, this whole thing. It's interesting, Rick. Uh, Recently, Fox News cut off a Donald Trump rally where Donald Trump was talking about his view that the 2020 election was stolen. A Fox News anchor cut it off and said, you've just heard a lot of false statements. Believe me, they're still feeling the pinch from that nearly a billion dollar settlement that they had to pay out to the Dominion Voting System Company. 608-785-7914 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. So uh, there's a story on the on the wire today. This is just off because somebody just texted me and said it's Ely, E-L-Y, the city in, in northern oh, sure, Minnesota. Sure, sure. It's Ely. Yeah. And I think I said Eli. Yeah. I, and I, I fumbled around with it because I couldn't remember. So it's Ely. So Ely, Minnesota's police department has given away $3,800 Kevlar kayaks uh, to any uh, new recruits. Nice. So just thanks, Tony. It's Ely, Minnesota. So my bad. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll return with UW Lacrosse political science professor, Doctor Anthony Trigoski. We got to change it up just a little bit. We got to play this song for just a minute. I, I mean, I could do this any any other Friday or any other day of the week, but I just thought of it and I'll forget. So Brenda Lee, rocking around the Christmas tree, thirteen years old when she sang the song. Wow. In the, in the past couple of weeks, I don't know if it's this week or last week, it went number one on the Billboard charts. No kidding. It's never been number one on the bill, Billboard charts. <laughs> so Brenda Lou, who, who's 13 years old, in whatever year this song came out, 19, what, uh, she's 70, do you know how old she, she is? She is 78. So as a 78-year-old woman now, her song has gone number one. Can you imagine, <laughs> like, just, just I, you know, it's hard to put myself in the, uh, in the uh, shoes of an artist like that. But a that she sang this song when she was thirteen, right? It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. It's awesome. Yeah. And then to for like I would just love to see the like look on her face when somebody told her, Brenda, your song is number one for the first time ever in two thousand and twenty three. Your number your song has gone number one. So, uh, or or I read that wrong and it was a fake tweet. But that's what I that's what I read. So. Uh, and I'll and I'll forget about it if I don't just bring it up here with you to be lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski. We always have to have like a good mix. If we do the political show on a Friday the whole time, we're gonna go insane. Um, but okay, so you you have two other stories that are kind of like dueling stories, and and 
they're like they're so grim. So the one headline is U.S. political ad market projected to reach sixteen billion dollars next year. So so ad buys, TV, radio. I mean, great for me, great for Midwest family. I guess great for Wisdom. Right. Uh, sixteen billion dollars. That actually, Trigoski. I don't. That doesn't sound. Like we throw around the billion numbers so often now that that doesn't also like what was the the, the Wisconsin Supreme Court race was like over forty million dollars. Yep, between way Janet over Sandwich. forty million. Oh, is it way? What's yeah. way man? What does that mean then? It's fifty million. Yeah, way over to me at is least like 80. fifty million, and we don't more. even know, yeah. right? Like yeah. sometimes you can't even. So so sixteen billion could be could be way over <laughs> a 16 billion, billion here, a billion there. Yeah, we just throw this number. The the difference between a million dollars and a billion dollars is so crazy. Right. And then to throw sixteen billion dollars into and it, and we just kind of like eh, like I feel like I was like eh. Yeah, and Doesn't there has like already been a hundred million dollars in advertisements for the Republican presidential nomination contest, and we're still a month away from the Iowa caucus. Like we're still a month out from anyone even starting to vote for the Republican nominee. Ron Kine would call us political junkies about right now because when it, when we talk about $16 billion in the ad market next year for the presidential race, uh, we're skipping we're skipping local elections, right? None of that money's going to go to, well, who knows? Like, I, I guess a, a drop in the bucket, right? Like, literally a drop sure. in a giant, giant, probably a, a, a like one of the, 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 the trough that the cows drink out of in the pasture. That would be how much money is going to go into these uh, local ads in the uh, April elections. But the second part of this conversation is electoral college a little bit. Yep. And the electoral college is, I guess, the, the don't bore us too bad, but like the electoral college is, is meant to like even out the 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 like voting based on population or you know like it's kind of confusing. That's right. It just means that whoever gets the most votes in a state gets all of the electoral votes from that state. There are a total of 538 electoral votes that are up for grabs. And as a presidential candidate, you need a majority of that, so 270 or more, in order to win the presidential election. And what's going on now is with $16 billion in ad buys, these ad buys are only – the electoral college has kind of gone backwards in that – there's only when we talk about and maybe we don't know because Wisconsin's always in the middle of this political like I, like firestorm, right? Because Wisconsin's one of what seven or eight states that's that's yeah. that where presidents even care about anymore. Yeah, a Washington Post analysis finds that 18% of Americans will live in battleground states in the 2024 presidential election. Now that means 82% of Americans will live in states that are not the t- that are not the target of campaign activity that are just written off yep. by the campaign. So like, well, we know who's going to win this state, no point in campaigning here. That's 82% of Americans, the 18% of Americans who will decide the election, well they are going to be the target of that 16 billion dollars right, in advertising. Right, for sure, 16 billion dollars so, so Rick, the, the really Irish, good news for me. So Rick, why I put these stories on our sheet for today was because these trends are going in the opposite direction. The amount of political advertising is going up and up and up and up. In fact, the projections indicate that there is going to be a 31% increase in political advertising spending in 2024 compared to 2020. So the amount of dollars going to advertising goes up and up and up. But the amount of states targeted by the campaigns goes down and down and down and down. Okay, well, 
do you know why that is? Like, when when did this flip start to happen? Where I'm just gonna say California is Democrat and Florida is, is Florida Republican. There, yeah. like, there's no doubt about it. Is that's that- that's one of the factors that is going to continue to reduce the number of Americans who live in battleground states. The fact that Florida is now increasingly viewed as a red state. It is okay. Where the is Democrats it, is Texas a better analogy? Where I'm just I know it's going to be a Republican state. Is Texas that- is becoming more and more competitive, but. I would still call it a red state, not a battleground state in the way that Wisconsin or Georgia or Arizona or Michigan are battleground states. Okay, what state can you just go? That that isn't South Dakota. You know what I mean? We're like 800 people. Sorry, South Dakota. Um, but like what state would it be? That's like this is the biggest, like the the California of the GOP. The California of the GOP, I would say, is still Texas. It is. Okay. It's not that competitive it's becoming more competitive well the joke is everyone from california is moving to texas yeah so all those yeah. The, all those blue voters are um but but like where where did this divide ha- or i guess it's not a divide it's well it kind of is a divide but it's like where, where we don't even care about the other states anymore and it makes the electoral college a little oddly obsolete yeah there's a new book coming out from a few political scientists who find that between the 1950s and the 1980s 26 states on average, per year, were battlegrounds. So, you know, during previous decades, it was pretty typical for half of the states to be considered in play, competitive mm-hmm. battleground states. Now, it's single digits, and yeah. it's becoming less and less each year. So, right now, there's just a really small percentage of states. You know, I think it would be polarization that there are fewer and fewer persuadable voters. And fewer and fewer independent voters, we're just seeing states go in opposite directions. We're seeing so many examples of polarization nowadays. And I think yet another example is just how these states are going in opposite directions. Red states are becoming redder. Blue states are becoming bluer, leaving maybe six or seven states that are seriously competitive, that are evenly divided. It doesn't make any sense. Like, I, like, and you say 80s. Did we just blame Reagan? Is that what we do then? Reagan's fault. He yeah, did this. I, he I don't know. I don't know. But it, it used to be the case, Rick, that like half of the states would be considered battleground states. And now we've gone from 26 states on average that were battleground states to maybe six or seven that are considered battleground states. But yeah, what I mean when these are going in opposite directions, more and more money on political advertising trying to target fewer and fewer voters. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It it's, means that people in Wisconsin are just increasingly overwhelmed by the campaign activity because we're one of only six or seven states that matter. Meanwhile, there's more and more money going into advertising, so we are just more and more inundated than ever before. Yeah, and and then and then how do people accept their or, or ingest those ads too, right? Cuz right. also, you have the ads on the radio but now you have ads on TV, but now you have ads all over the place. And then on top of that, these, these, maybe the money, maybe the money isn't more ads. The money is we got to spend more money to, to create better artificial intelligence uh, yep. to create these ads. You know, maybe it just costs more to make the ads as well. We might not see more ads. We might just see a more expensive. Well, ad. and more sophisticated targeting. I, that has been the big change in political advertising over the past few decades. The idea that, look, we can create an ad that will be precisely targeted towards this one group that we think is really important. Like maybe we want to target an ad towards hardcore Republicans. Let's craft a message for hardcore Republicans because we want to get them out to the polls. Maybe we target an ad towards 
independent, middle-of-the-road voters because we want to persuade them to our side. Maybe if we're Democrats, we want to target an ad towards hardcore Democrats. Maybe we have a different ad that we target towards independent voters. We can target ads as campaigns, people on campaigns. They can target ads with such precision, such incredible amounts of data that they have nowadays to target voters with surgical accuracy. That's UW Lacrosse political science professor, Dr. Anthony Tregoski. All right, that's all the time we have for today and this week. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening, texting, calling. Thanks, Tregoski. Thank you.